Good morning, everybody. Hey, I want to start out telling you about this fun stage in life that my husband Mike and I are in. We're kind of at that point in life where our kids are getting married. Kenny asked Andrea to marry him. They're planning a June wedding. I have one of their engagement photos to show you. I think it'll come up here. Yeah. Oh, look how in love they are. So in love. And then almost a year ago, last August, our daughter Kelsey got married, and we expanded our family to include Fred. Yeah. Do they look excited or what? Pretty exciting stuff. I'm not sure if I'm going to be as involved in Kenny's wedding as I was with Kelsey's. It might be different, being the mother of the groom. Not sure yet. But with Kelsey, I was super involved, and it was such a blast. We had so much fun in those months leading up to the wedding. We did all kinds of planning, and we made things. And it was kind of cool because we agreed on a lot. In fact, almost everything we agreed on, um, except for this one little small detail. Um, she really wanted me to make this chalkboard that one of her friends could write on, and, and I ended up actually doing that. I had a little hesitation. Um, it says, happily ever after starts here. Anybody? Anybody but me a little bit conflicted about that? Yeah, I mean, come on. We've lived long enough to know that, you know, sometimes happily ever after doesn't start on your wedding day. Sometimes marriages go through some ups and downs, don't they? Times where one or both people feel a little dissatisfied. It could happen, I'm just saying. We all know that, right? We have people in our lives who maybe aren't the happiest married people we know. Could be a spouse... Hopefully not your spouse. It could be a coworker, a neighbor, or maybe you're the one not so happy. What do you do? Well, today we're going to be talking about can an unhappy marriage become happy again? I'm going to put it out there. Can it even happen? Well, yes. Let's just settle that right now. It can. An unhappy marriage can turn around and become happy again. Things can change. In fact, even studies are showing this. Um, A large number of married couples were asked to rate their happiness on a scale of one to seven. One being, I'm very unhappy, and seven being, I'm really loving this whole married thing. It's awesome. And what they found out is out of 5,000 people that they surveyed, only 600 were very unhappy. Not, Not too bad. So they waited five years, and they went back to those unhappy people, and they said, well, how's it going for you now? And do you know what they found? 77% of them had had a dramatic turnaround in the marriage. They had gone from very unhappy to very happy. And really, with the only common denominator being time. Time passed, and things got better. Things that were coming against the marriage, maybe finances or teenagers or or something like that. You know, time helped things, and they got happy again. What about the couples that didn't stay married, that were unhappy and they chose to to take off, find somebody else? What? How about them? How were they doing? Well, guess what? They found out that most of them were still unhappy. Turns out, leaving their spouses hadn't made them any happier. 
That's a tough truth, and it's a truth that we see in Scripture, in the Bible. God tells unhappily married people to stay married. If you or someone you know about is struggling in a marriage, then the best advice I can give you is hang on. Hang on, and that's not the easiest thing, is it? Sometimes the grass seems greener on the other side, somewhere else, and instead of hang on, we want to move on. We see this all the time. People are comfortable in our culture leaving a marriage because they aren't happy anymore. And yet in God's eyes, it's just not that simple. Marriage is a covenant, a promise that God really values. And when, when you got married and you said, you know, I'll love, honor, and cherish you till death do I part, God was there. He heard that. He, he saw that. And he made the two of you as one flesh. And he wants you to keep that promise. Malachi 2 says, Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit you are his, so guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. God reminds us here that divorce is something he hates. He, he really doesn't like it. Now notice here that he says he hates divorce, not divorced people. God loves divorced people. I mean, that's, that's something he, people are what he cares about. And, th- and that's why we're doing this lunch today that Divorce Care is sponsoring. He also doesn't say here that there's not ever a time that you shouldn't get divorced. There are exceptions. There are times when if a spouse repeatedly violates the marriage to such an extent that someone's heart just can't recover, then divorce may be the right thing to do. But this message was really given during a time much like today when divorce had gotten to be so common and it was just a way for people to deal with their unhappiness. And God's advice is, look, don't do that. Don't leave. Don't look for greener pastures. Hang on to your marriage. And while you're hanging on, while things are tough, guard your heart. Guard your heart. If you're in this situation, you know the temptation. You know how vulnerable you are right now. I was talking to someone the other day who found this out. They were committed to a marriage, but they were lonely. And there hadn't been much companionship, not much romance. And that had been going on for a very long time. And so one of their kids showed them how to play this game online on the computer. And it was one of those games where uh, the computer picked your other players, you know, for you. And so they got to play in this game and kind of filling up their their past, you know, their downtimes with this game. And they started even meeting some of the other players online and conversing with them. But over time, they started having conversations with one particular player of the opposite sex. And that grew into an inappropriate long-distance relationship. Fortunately, they woke up one day to this whole thing, and they thought, wow, this is so wrong, and they called it off. But this person didn't set out to be unfaithful. I mean, it happened slowly um, as one indiscretion led to another. And, And that's how it usually goes, isn't it? I mean... That's why we need to guard our hearts. And that's also why we need people in our life. You've heard it said that it takes a village to raise a child, right? I think it takes a village or a church to stay married. 
We need each other. We need people who are going to hold us accountable to tell us the truth when they see that we're getting off track. Do you have people like that in your life? Do you have the courage to be somebody like that for someone else? I got a call once from a former hospital coworker I hadn't seen for a long time, and she wanted to get together for lunch, and I was pretty stoked to kind of catch up on things. And so we met at this restaurant, and boy, right off the bat, I thought, okay, this isn't the visit I thought we were going to have, right? I mean, she started talking to me about her plans to leave her husband and marry um, one of her coworkers. And I was, like, stunned because I had known her for a long time, never known her marriage to be unhappy. Um, her husband and Mike and I took dance lessons one time together. I mean, seemed happy to me. And, and you know, I was sitting here listening to her, and, and here this couple was, you know, both of them married, both of them had kids, and yet they were so in love, and, and they just really felt like they couldn't live without each other. And so I sat there, and I'm like gosh, I need to tell you something here. I need to tell you, I think you're about to make a big mistake. I mean, I don't think God wants this for you. I think he would want you to stay married. And you know what she said back to me? She said, why would God want me to stay in an unhappy marriage? I don't know what it is, but when we've been struggling for a while in a marriage, sometimes we get to this place where we think, well, I've got two choices. I can either stay married and be miserable, or I can get divorced. But there's a third thing we can do, right? There's another option on the table. We can stay married and keep working on it. We can keep working on it. No matter how bad things are or how long it's been that way, we can choose to keep working on our marriages. This is something Mike and I, my husband, know a lot about. Like many of you here, we've had our fair share of marriage problems. We know what it's like to wonder if we'll ever be happy again. We've had those times where we'd wanted to give up. But something we did early on when we were a young couple, I think, really made a difference. And um, I remember this conversation we had. We said to each other, we're going to make a pact. Let's, Let's promise never to give up. Let's, even if we have to go to a counselor... Let's, let's really work on our marriage. And I don't know why, what it is with counseling. Like, why is that like the worst thing ever? Like in the Hoyd world, I don't know. But, you know, little did we know over the years, we would see a number of counselors helped, help keep their financial picture good. Um, we just had no idea. But, you know, we had seen parents who stayed in marriages and refused to get help and struggled. And we just didn't want to be like that. You know, we just didn't. And so I'm so thankful we stuck it out. We're very happy, don't you think? I think we're very happy. Right? That's good. (laughs) Good answer. We might even be the most happily married couple here, don't you think? Yeah, I think so too. Maybe some of you would argue with me about that, but we're, we're happy. So anyways, what are some of the things that we did? What are some of the things that you can do if you want to work on having a happier marriage? Now, I just have to stop and just please stay with me, all right? If you are single, if you are divorced, 
Um, please stay, stay with me here because even if today you can't apply this to yourself, I know that you can be that wise person in somebody else's life, right? You have good wisdom to share, even more so when we're done here. And if you're happily married, right? Like, we can still work on it, right? We could even be happier. It's hard to imagine, but, I mean, it's possible. We might even get happier. So apply this, even if you're not unhappy. (laughs) Okay, first thing we can work on is to stop trying to change our spouse. Working on the marriage is not the same thing as working on your spouse. It's not the same. Now, I know, I know. No one knows their habits, their flaws, their shortcomings better than you do. You live with them, right? But you're not the one to change them. Matter of fact, you can't change them. The only person that can change them is God. So you got to quit trying. I'm just going to use myself as a bad example right now. (laughs) I made this mistake when we were... uh, before, long time ago, actually, no. <laughs> but, you know, I remember thinking I would be happier if Mike would change some things, you know. And what were the kind of things I wanted to change? Well, I'll share just a couple. There were many, but I'll share just a couple. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, I remember thinking I would be happier if Mike wasn't a policeman. Now, I want to tell you, Mike was a policeman when we got married, It's not like it was a surprise. I mean, I married a policeman. But, you know, over time, things became apparent to me that weren't, this wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Like, for instance, he worked weekends. He worked holidays. He worked night shift. His job was dangerous. You should hear some of the stories he tells me. And I decided, you know what, I don't like this. I think I'd be happier if you changed your job. And so that came up in conversation. Another big one was that I wanted Mike to be more spiritual. You know, I was pretty sure I would be happier if we prayed together more. Um, If, you know, if Mike shared his devotions with me and I shared mine with him, and, you know, we could be a lot happier. Do you feel sorry for Mike yet? (laughs) You should. You should. Notice what all these changes had in common. Me. They were all about what I wanted, what I thought would make me happy. And maybe some of you won't be surprised to find out that my selfishness did not produce a happier marriage. It didn't happen. You see, if we want to work on our marriage, we need to stop focusing on our spouse's shortcomings and take a good look in the mirror at our own. Where are we falling short of being a godly husband or wife? What are the things that we could do a better job at? And the place to discover that is God's Word. God's Word can be like that mirror that goes, oh, a little, little shy over here. Yet yeah, need to work on that. God's Word. If we want to change something, we have to start with that and look at, God, what can I do? What are some things I can do? One thing married people are encouraged to work on is submission. It's getting better, isn't it? We're talking about some tough stuff here. Work on submission. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I know submission is not a popular word, especially in our country, the land of the free. You know, I've got my rights. No one's going to tell me what to do. But if that's your image of submission, then it's all wrong. See, submission is really just putting 
our best interests aside to serve the needs of somebody else. We're just putting our best interests aside to serve the needs of somebody else. Sounds Christ-like, doesn't it? Yeah. Christ modeled submission, and he wasn't a doormat, was he? He was God. Philippians 2 says, Though he, Christ, was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. See, Jesus put his best interests aside. He chose to submit or come under God's plan for his life. And he did it even though it meant dying for us. Some of us need to, like, die a little bit to some of the things we want in order to submit to our spouse, in order to bless them and serve them. And, and it's not easy to do that. It's not easy to put our best interests aside. I know. I'll tell another story. Um, one time, Mike and I were at odds with each other. Um, he had uh, been encouraged to apply for the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency. And, you know, I knew that was a good job, good pay, good benefits. Mike was well-suited for it. I think he would have thrived professionally in that job. But it would have meant a lot of moving. And I didn't want to move. I'd done that a lot growing up. And and I was a nurse at the time. Best thing for my career, stay put. Build up your seniority, you know. And we had little kids. And I was pretty sure that all that moving wouldn't be good for our kids. And so we went round and round on this. You know, if Mike got his way, I would have to sacrifice. If I got my way, he would have to sacrifice. And, and we really just couldn't agree. And, and so I made a decision to submit to Mike's leadership. And this is something that God calls women to do in a marriage. It's not easy. We're just born kind of bossy, you know. <laughs> we got to get over that. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives. Submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. See, when women submit to our husbands and submit to their leadership, then that's something that's really pleasing to God. It's very Christ-like, you know? And we can trust God to lead our husbands. So, so what happened with Mike and I? Well... Um, in the case of the whole DEA thing, he made his, put in his application, made it through the interview, the polygraph, the whole nine yards, comes to the week that he's supposed to be hired, and the government put on a hiring freeze. No job. And so he didn't end up, sorry, didn't end up going. I got my way on that one. But what was kind of cool was that over the years, um, as he worked for the police department, an opportunity came up, and he got to work with the DEA task force as a policeman for Spokane. And so God kind of provided an opportunity for him to fulfill that dream anyways. The next time um, you and your spouse disagree, try to work on submission. Try to work on submission. Another thing married people can work on is unconditional love and respect. Ephesians 5.33 says, Each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband's. Now, all Christians are supposed to work on 
loving and respecting other people, right? But in the marriage, um, the Bible suggests that there's some natural tendencies at work here for men and women. Special mention is made to women to work at being respectful to their husbands. Could be that women are born more nurturing. Could be that maybe we have a little more trouble with respect than we do with love. And men. Men often live by a code of honor. And I think for men to um, be respectful to people they care about, maybe not as challenging as being loving. And research has found that these differing strengths in men and women can wreak havoc in a marriage. In a large University of Washington study of 2,000 couples that took place over 20 years, researchers showed that in conflict with their husbands, wives tend to get a little disrespectful. Somebody's laughing. You've got to be careful. <laughs> no elbows, no laughing. No. But that can happen. And in conflict, men might do okay with respect, but they can be a little bit unloving. She reacts with disrespect. He responds by being unloving. She gets more disrespectful. He gets more unloving. And pretty soon, you got a crazy cycle going here. A crazy cycle. That's what the author of, of Love and Respect calls this kind of thing. And how do you get a crazy cycle to stop? Well, one person, one person, one or the other, has to step forward and start treating the spouse not as they deserve, but as God called them to treat them. You know, that can be hard when things are heating up and you're like, she doesn't, what? She's not being loving to me. I, I'm not, I'm not going to be respectful. Somebody's got to make the first move. So men, what would it look like for the next time your wife is coming at you with complaints and she's got that sour face and, you know, she's being all critical and complaining? What would it look like for you to look past her and see Jesus just beyond her shoulder? And what would it look like for you to respond to her like you would to him? Can you picture yourself saying something like, I'm sorry, I don't want to make you upset. I want to be loving. Show me how to do this in this situation. Or what would it look like for some of you gals the next time your husband's upset with you and he starts to withdraw? What would it look like for you to look beyond his shoulder and see Jesus there? Yes, you're mad. Yes, you're upset. But could you respond to your husband like you would to Christ? Could you be the one to say, you know, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be disrespectful here. Tell me how I can honor you in this situation. Women crave love. Men crave respect. And it's possible for us to turn this crazy cycle into a rewarding cycle, right? It's possible that as she becomes more respectful, he might respond by being more loving. And, oh, he's so loving. I think I want to honor him. And, oh, Oh, she's honoring me. I just want to love her. And pretty soon this thing can get going in another direction. That's possible. It's possible to hang on to our marriage and keep working on things and see change. And these are just a few things you could work on. You could work on other things like forgiveness, right? 
You could work on doing some of the things you used to first do in your marriage, things like writing each other notes or setting a date night. You could even go to counseling. Just saying. But what if you work on things and nothing changes? What if all your hard work doesn't mean a turnaround for you and your spouse? Do you give up? Do you throw in the towel? Do you say, I've done it all. I don't know what to do. No. No, that's the situation. That's the time that we need to prioritize holiness over our happiness. Prioritize holiness. Holiness is a term we don't use a lot anymore. Um, It's kind of like submission. You're like, well, what's holiness? How do I, what? Well, holiness means just to be completely devoted to God. You know, it means to live your life in such a way that you want to, everything about you wants to be pleasing to God and give him glory. And that's your top priority. That's your priority over happiness. 1 Peter 2 says, But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instrument to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others night and day of the difference he's made for you. See, it's like a priest in the Old Testament who wore those special robes everywhere. A Christian who has made holiness a priority in their life is going to stand out in a crowd. They're going to look and act different because their whole goal in life is different. Their whole goal is to please God no matter what. And a question that someone who's walking in holiness, who's made that a priority, is going to ask on a frequent basis is, what will please God in this situation? How can I make God happy? Not how can I make me happy, but how can I be pleasing to God? I met someone recently who had prioritized holiness over happiness in a marriage for over 35 years. And this meeting had a a really profound effect on me. She told me that in the beginning of their marriage, they had about three good years. Three. And then her husband started drinking. And he began drinking so much that he became an alcoholic that was very, very difficult to live with. And she didn't know what to do, so she reached out to um, some people, some Christians in her family and some friends that she knew, and they invited her to church. And so she came to church, and she had this obvious encounter with God, and she gave her life over to Christ. And she began to describe to me how she started praying, and God began to make himself real to her in the Word, and they developed this really sweet, intimate relationship with each other. And, and her heart for her husband was that he would change, but rather than try to make him change, she started praying for him. And for 15 years, she prayed that he would be delivered from his alcoholism. And one day, he was. I mean, it was like that. No AA, no effort on his part. She said he just woke up one morning and had no desire for the drink. It was a miracle. And she thought for sure, oh, he's going to believe in God now because I prayed for him all this time and he's going to become a Christian. No, it's not what happened. Instead, time went by and uh, he developed back injury at work. And multiple surgeries later, he's now pretty disabled. Spends most of his time in bed 
on pain medication. Gone is the physical intimacy. Not too much going out together. Not too much sharing time with friends. And it hasn't been easy, obviously. But she's still hanging on. She's still working on things. Her whole point in coming to see me was what could she do that she hasn't already done? And we talked about counseling and getting her into a prayer group with some other women. But this woman prioritized holiness over her own happiness for the long haul. She's one of my heroes. I think about her testimony, and I know she told me what she wanted her testimony to be. She wanted her testimony to be that God turned her unhappy marriage into a happy one and that he, that he, said she, he was able to, to re, uh, reach out to her husband and that he became a Christian. That's, that's the testimony she's really wanting. But, you know, she still has a testimony. It's just not the one she belonged for. Her testimony is that God used an unhappy marriage to draw him to herself and to teach her to love like he loves. It's a powerful testimony. Her whole goal was to please God. Is that what your goal is? Is that what you live your life to do, is to be pleasing to God? Then I want to encourage you to keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. Galatians 6, 9 says, So let's not get tired of doing what is good, At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. See, there are rewards for doing the right thing, and sometimes the reward is our marriages turn around, and we get that happy marriage that we wanted. But sometimes the reward will be delayed, and sometimes the reward will come later, down the road, when we're face-to-face with God, and he just gives us that, that thing that we long to hear. He says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, I don't think we have any idea of what that's going to be like. But I know this, it's going to be good. And I think that after he says that to us, I think he's going to step aside maybe like this, and he's going to point to all the people in heaven that are going to be there because of the the choices that we made, because of the way we tried to live our lives that was pleasing to God and Maybe they saw things in us that we didn't even know at the time. We didn't even understand that they were watching us. But maybe they saw a little bit of Christ in us. Maybe they saw a relationship that they kind of wanted to have. I think that's going to be a reward, don't you? And I think there's going to be other rewards. I think God has other treasures in heaven stored up for us for just doing the right thing and prioritizing him above everything else in our life. I think it might be kind of like he turns aside and he shows us what he has and we just go, wow, Lord, wow. See, we can't forget. We can't forget that our time on this earth is really relatively short compared to the span of eternity. This, This earth is not our home and we have a lot to look forward to. And when we get discouraged because we've done the right thing over and over again and we're not seeing anything change, we can just remember, oh, one day, one day I'll be with God. One day things will be different. The Bible says that all of us that have 
made Jesus our Lord and Savior, um, that we're going to experience kind of a, a wedding celebration one day with him. In fact, Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom, and he calls the church his bride. And the Bible talks about this big wedding that's going to take place. And I really, really think that this is where this sign belongs, don't you? I think that's where it goes. Because that's the day where we're done with sin, we're done with all of that, and we are promised to live happily ever after with a God who loves us more than life itself. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I just thank you that, kind of like Scott was saying earlier, that we don't have to be perfect for you to be pleased with us. God, that you look down on us and you see us through the light of Christ. You see Jesus' holiness and Jesus' righteousness and that we are pleasing in your sight no matter what we do. Lord, we are forgiven people. We are forgiven people, God, and we thank you for that. But, Lord, I just pray right now for all of us who, uh, first and foremost, might be a little discouraged, might be a little weary in well-doing, whether it's in our marriages or in our volunteering or in serving you in other ways. Father, I know you put a burden on my heart to tell people that there is a reward. There is a reward awaiting you. Don't give up. Don't grow weary of well-doing. And, Lord, I also want to lift up um, everyone here who's married. Um, I pray, God, that you would help us, no matter where we are on that spectrum of, of marital happiness, to just, Lord, help us to keep hanging in there and working on things. Help us to not settle for things the way they are, but just to continue to want to improve our marriages. Give us the grace we need, God, to do that and put the people around us that we need. And, Lord, I also want to pray for those who are single, who are widows here. Um, Father, I pray that you would send your comfort. Lord, I thank you that you are close to the brokenhearted and those crushed in spirit. And I pray, God, that, that they sense your comfort and your love. Lord, I pray that they would be so close to you, Lord, that you would be their husband, that you would be that spouse that, that maybe they don't have on this earth that you would pour out your love and your approval and your pleasure and your Holy Spirit on their lives. Fill all those places, Lord, that might be a little empty with more of you. And, Lord, we just, we just want to be a surrendered people, God. We want to be set apart for you. And we pray that, that you would lead us to do and be and live in a way that is pleasing to you in your sight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to go ahead and receive the tithes and offerings. If you've brought a gift to God, if you could just prepare that right now. Also, if you're visiting, please don't feel any pressure to give. We're just so glad you're here.